Well, good morning. I'm going to go on public record <laughs> to say that the Oklahoma Sooners are a better football team than the Texas Longhorns this year. I will never repeat that statement again. <laughs> but they beat us fair and square, aside from about 30 penalties that were never called. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, nah, we got beat. Uh, so anyways, um, we have a sermon we're going to get to. Uh, so um, real quick, before we go further, though, speaking of college, um, we have some kids that are in college that have moved away, and their numbers are going to come on the screen. And I just want to ask you a favor. Two of them are actually here, so surprise. Um, but uh, I'm just going to ask if you'll pull your phone out right now, and if you'll send them an encouraging message to one of them, to all, we got six on that list. Um, if you would just send them a message, because, you know, they're out in the world right now. They're away from the church, away from the church family, and I just thought it would be really cool if they just suddenly got a whole lot of messages from their church family that said, praying for you, um, you know, keep fighting the good fight of faith, uh, whatever God places on your heart to send them. But I see a lot of you taking pictures even if you feel awkward texting in the middle of a service. I totally understand that. Uh, so if you'll just send that to them sometime today, it would be awesome for them to just get bombarded. I hope that's their numbers as well. Um, those are my most up-to-date numbers. And so <laughs> some person might be like, thanks, who are you? And you can share the gospel with them. Easy intro, wrong number, sorry, have you met Jesus? Uh, Anyways, um, so yeah, if you'll do that at some point today, uh, it would be pretty awesome, I think, for them to just know that they're being prayed for and encouraged. Um, do we have any musical fans in here? Like, you just absolutely love musicals, Sound of Music, um, Sound of Music. Uh, there's, there's one title to state that I dare not say anymore, uh, but uh, Oklahoma, <clears throat> I need water after saying that. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm not a musical fan. Uh, it's, it's one of my many flaws. I just don't really care about them. Uh, I, I would rather listen to an audio soundtrack instead of watch some guy dance and sing on TV. Honestly, there's only about two mu musicals that I can remember ever seeing in my life. I haven't even seen Wizard of Oz. I'm sorry if you are a big fan of Wizard of Oz. And I kind of it's become a matter of I'm not going to watch it just because. I have no reason behind that. I guess ego, which is wrong. Um, but two, two musicals that I absolutely love. One is The Greatest Showman. Amazing soundtrack. I was working out to it for a while, and then I got told that's not workout music, so no longer am I working out to it. Uh, the other one is Oliver Twist. Which is one that, like, I think that was the first musical I ever saw. And Oliver Twist is about this orphan that grows up in an orphanage over in London. And then he ends up escaping the orphanage. And it's just kind of his journey through that. But there is one line in Oliver Twist that always comes to my mind, especially whenever I go back for seconds for a meal. And if you've ever seen Oliver Twist, you probably know the line. They all draw straws. Oliver draws the shortest straw which means that he, out of like a hundred orphans, has to be the one to go up and ask for more porridge. And so he goes up there, timid, little scrawny Oliver Twist, and he says in his English accent, 
please, sir, may I have some more? And then you got the headmaster who gets super angry that he dare ask for more. And so then you got this little chase effect going on, and everybody's running after Oliver because you dare not ask for more food. And as much as, like, that scene is a little comical in there, do you ever approach God that way? Do you ever get to the point where it's like, man, God, I have come to you so many times already. Do I dare even ask you again? I mean, sometimes I worry that we do that whenever we're constantly coming to God or whatever it is, we we come to a God and as we approach him, we're scared. Kind of like Oliver, like, oh, I hope you're not going to take this out on me. And we come to God and we're presenting a request to God and it's like, oh, I really hope I caught you in a good mood today, God. I really hope that I caught you when you're going to be willing to listen to me and you're not going to be angry with me because I'm, I'm a little scared. We can sometimes approach God as if he really doesn't care about those little things. I mean, I've heard fathers say it before where it's like, don't call me unless the house is burning down. Like, you better not even dare bother me with that little stuff of, hey, we're out of milk or whatever it is. Don't bother me unless the house is burning down. And we approach God that way sometimes. Like, God, I really don't know if this is a big enough request to come to you with. God, I really don't know if you care about this little petty thing in my life. Do you? And we're going to see as we go through this series on the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is teaching us to pray. According to Luke, that is the question that the disciples asked Jesus. They've seen him praying, and they're like, man, you have this prayer life. Can you teach us to pray? And so Jesus goes into the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And so we're gonna, we've been working through this. And we're going to see today how we can approach God, and also we're going to see kind of what we can go to God with, and then ultimately I hope that what we see is what God's desire out of it is. And so if you'll stand, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer again, and we're going to be focusing specifically on verse 11, but we're going to read the entire thing again. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and other versions close with for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Father God, we come before you and as you have just shown us in this model prayer how to pray and as we just kind of dive in and just see what your word has to say about how we can approach you with what we bring to you. God, may we see who you are through all of that. And may we just be drawn to you in this time. But God, we need you to open our hearts. We need you to let your Holy Spirit enter in and just uh, help us to discern and and just grow in what your word has to say. So God, I just pray, may, may we remove the distractions. May we focus on you in this time. And may we grow as your word says, it will not return void. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So whenever Jesus introduced this prayer, I mean, really, Matthew doesn't have it as him teaching them to pray, but more so as Jesus goes up on the mountainside. Matthew chapter 5 opens up with that. 
He went up on the mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he goes into what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And this version, Matthew's version, is in the middle of that sermon. So he's got a huge crowd around him. And the very first words that Jesus opens up with kind of alter this view that they had of God. And we, we opened up with that whenever we went over it. Our Father. Changing how they, how they look at God. Because again, remember, God's name was one that they didn't even mention. It was something that they never wanted to say because they did not want to take it out of reverence. And so you really had this reverent, like, I'm going to stay back, like, he's God, I'm not, which I have nothing against that view. But it was not the personal father relationship that God really has with us. And so Jesus opened up with our father who is in heaven just changing their view on it all. And so that is how we can come to God. We can come to him as father, as the father who loves us and cares for us. Again, the entire first week, we looked at that and how there are terrible, I'm going to call them boys. They're old enough to be considered men, but they're really boys. They are immature boys who are claiming the role of father, but not fulfilling that role. There are people who are giving fathers a terrible, terrible name. And it is hard for people to see God as father because of that. But what God is saying is, I don't want to be this world perspective of a father. No, I am the holy. I am the all-loving. First John tells us that God is love. Everything that we encompass, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is not talking about my love for other people, but ultimately God's love for us. He's patient. He's kind. He is not angry. He is not boasting. That is who God is. And so if you have the wrong view of God, then you're going to have the wrong approach to God. Kind of like Oliver. As he came up and was asking for more food, he was scared. And so he came up timid. And he came up like, man, I'm going to get in trouble if I ask this, but I, I have to. I have to come. And if we view God as being some distant, far-off God, it's going to change how we approach him. It's going to be like, man, my prayers seem empty because, God, I don't even really know if you're in this place. You're going to pray, and you're going to be like, man, uh, he's kind of this tyrannical, just crazy, uh, uncontrollable God. And so I really don't even know if he's going to hear my prayers. I don't even really know how he's going to answer them. I don't even really know if he cares about my prayers. When you have the wrong approach to God, when you have the wrong view of God, it gives you the wrong approach to God. Because also, if you think God is a genie in a bottle, you're going to approach him that way. You're going to come up with the same ritual, the same incantation to try and reproduce whatever result you hope. It's going to be like, man, maybe if I rub the lamp just properly or rub my Bible just properly or hold this against God, he's a genie in the bottle and he has to respond to my commands, but he's not. He's God. But he is a God who loves you so much so that he gave his only son. And Hebrews tells us how we can address God. And how we can approach God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then with confidence confidently draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We can go with confidence. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have, there's that word again, confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Three verses later, verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a heart full of assurance. Again, another way of saying we can confidently come to the throne of God in faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So when you have the right view of God, that he is the good, loving father, you don't approach him like Oliver did, but you approach him like some kid who is just so confident in their father's love that they're going to run up and be like, Dad, can I have that gum or that new bike or whatever it is? Like, Dad, I know I can come and I can ask you whatever because I know you love me. Now, sometimes the answer is no, but you can confidently come before God because he is the good father. And that's how he wants for us to come to him. Not in timidity, not, not in fear, but in confidence. So much so, Jesus, uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight thirty two, what has God already done to show us his love? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. I mean, when you really grasp the gospel, the gospel of Romans chapter 1 through 3. Nobody is deserving of it. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we really grasp that, and then we see Romans 8.32, that even though none of us were deserving of it, God gave his only son. It's like, man, if God's not going to hold back his only son when I didn't deserve it, man, I can come to him. I can confidently, as Hebrews tells us, go to him. I mean, Jesus even compares God to bad fathers because he even is talking about like, hey, bad fathers still provide for their kids. They still will give their kids food. They're not good dads, but they still are going to make sure those basic needs are covered. Matthew chapter 6, a little bit later from our passage today, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, hey, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon who had everything in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be handed over to you. So I just realized I read the entirely wrong passage. That makes no sense at all. I'm so sorry. 
We're on this page. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, relaying it to fathers who are not good, but providing for their children. Matthew 7, 11. This will make a lot more sense. If you then, who are evil, yep, right there, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? I mean, he's saying like, hey, bad fathers still provide for their children. I'm not a bad father. I'm the all-loving father. How loving am I? I didn't even spare my only son, but I gave him up for you. So how am I not going to give you so much more? God desires for us to confidently come to him. There's a quote that has stuck in my head. Religion says, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. A lot of us can probably relate to that. Like, oh my word, dad is going to be so mad when he sees that I put this car in the ditch on my 16th birthday. Like, you don't pull the e-brake going 30 miles an hour down a dirt road. Dad's going to kill me. But then relationship tells us, I messed up. I need to call dad. Like, not am I going to shy away in fear. I'm going to be a little worried, but I'm going to confidently go and know that my dad cares about me. I need to call my father. And so God wants us to come to him as the good father. And when we grasp the fact that God is the all-loving father and we can confidently come to him, it changes how we can make requests to him. It changes what we bring to him. Because in this prayer, Jesus shows us exactly what it is that we are to come to him with. You see, I, I made that statement earlier. Some fathers say, you better not call me unless the house is on fire. You know what Jesus says our, our heavenly father wants us to come to him with? Hey, give us this day our daily bread. God, I need you today. Can, can you provide for me again today? God, I need today my daily bread, my needs. God, I, I need you. Please provide for me. God wants us to not just come to him with the big things of, God, I, I need this job. I need this new vehicle. I need this. But he says, I want you to come to me with your daily needs, the small things of life, which really are the big things. God is saying, I want to be a part of that. I think Jesus is telling us to trust God in the little things because it's, it's hard, especially in America, it seems, to trust God in the little things because we really don't have to worry about the little things. I mean, really, we don't worry about where our next meal is going to come from for the most part. We don't worry about if we're going to— I mean, there's like 10 million jobs available right now. You can find a job flipping burgers. And even then— the government's got you covered. So we really don't have to worry about money coming in. It's not like we're really like, God, if I, if I don't have you today, I'm not going to make it through today. I mean, honestly, I heard it said one time, what would happen if you went a day without praying? What would happen if you just happened to go a day without praying? All too often, it probably happens. Where it's like, you might say the little things here and there, but you're not really dependent on God. What would happen if you went a week without praying? What about a month? Are we suddenly getting really realistic on how long we go without trusting in God for our daily things? I mean, if God did not actively intervene in your life today, would you be dependent on him? Would you need him? 
I mean, everybody, we're in church. You'd say, yes, I need him. He's my source of salvation. But would you truly be dependent on him for your daily needs? Are you praying, God, I will not get through this day without you? I need you in the here and now. God, help me in today. Because that's what he wants. He wants to be in your daily conversation, to have our focus directed on him. Not on everything else that's going on, but on him. And there's a lot of stuff going on. But he's saying, come back. Look to me for your strength today. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus told us in that long passage that I read before. Like, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Like, look at the birds. Look at creation. God's provided for them. He'll provide for you. So trust him through that stuff. Live a life of trusting in God. Corey Tinboom, she was um, so, somebody that was helping uh, hide Jews during Nazi Germany. And during that time, obviously, a scary time. Because these Jews are being led into concentration camps, and anybody who is caught helping the Jews is going to be led into concentration camps as well. And Corey Tinboom is doing what is considered totally illegal, and yet she keeps doing it. And it would seem like a freaky, scary thing to do. And she has this quote, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. Tomorrow's still going to worry about itself. Jesus told us that. It empties today of its strength. Really, when we're totally worried and caught up on something, what we're really saying is, God, do you really have this? God, are you really who you say you are? Because, because I know you say don't worry about this, but God, I don't know if I can really trust you. And so I'm going to take control, and I realize I'm horrible at control, so I'm going to freak out about everything because I'm not in control, and I don't trust you're in control. So I'm just going to worry about it all. And God is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Is it because there's nothing to worry about? No, there's tons. But it's because he is greater than it all. John 16, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And it, it said, what you worry about is what you focus on. I mean, if... if if the solution to all life's problems was to focus on what we're most worried about, everything would be taken care of. But that doesn't fix anything. It gives us ulcers. It makes us freak out. It makes us stressed out. It makes us just clam up. We don't trust God. And so Paul, he actually tells us, this is how you fix worry. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul opens up with some very practical advice. Don't worry which is like, thanks, Paul. That's like telling a fish, don't be wet. It's going to happen. But what Paul is saying is there's actually a word, do not be anxious, is marinmal, where we really get the word meditate. So really what Paul is telling us is 
what are you going to meditate on? You got these two options. Are you going to meditate? Are you going to focus? Are you going to feed all your energy into this source of stress that is worrying you? Or are you going to, as Paul tells Timothy, take every thought captive? Are you going to control your thoughts and do what Paul said in the second half? Meditate on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, trustworthy, whatever is excellent. Which one are you going to meditate and focus on? That's what Paul's asking. And so he's saying, hey, we, when we understand that God is the good father, we can approach him as so, which means we can confidently come to him with our requests. And that's how God wants for us to come to him, because God wants to hear our needs. God wants to hear what's on our hearts. He wants a relationship with you. He's not some distant God that really just took a hands-off approach, but instead he is an active, living, personal God that wants to be in relationship with you. I mean, looking at the entire Old Testament leading up to the birth of Jesus, you see the heart of a God who desires to be with his people. Constantly, hey, I'm going to walk with you in the garden. You messed that up. I'm going to walk with you in a tent, or I'm going to dwell with you in a tent, but that's not permanent, so I want you to build me a temple. And then you guys just mess up the temple by worshiping everywhere else, and so you're going into exile, and then you're going to come back, and ultimately, I'm going to dwell among you in the flesh. And then, you know what? You're going to murder my son. But he must leave so that somebody greater than him. So God, the crescendo of it all is God living inside of us, the Holy Spirit residing in us. He wants to be that personal until ultimately we get to, with faces unveiled, stand before God. But he wants to be in that relationship with you. Heather babysits two little kids. Four, almost, nope, she is four. Four years old and two years old. They're adorable for 20 minutes. And then, I, <laughs> and then I'm exhausted. They're adorable beyond that, but I really enjoy those 20 minutes. Heather hangs out with them. And here's the thing. Her little Aspen, her dad, I admire the guy so much because he, he goes and he works a full-time job and then he comes home and those kids right away are daddy and they are little personality bugs. And so, oh my goodness, the quotes that they say. And they come running and are just like, daddy, arms open, jump in his hands. And Dale has just worked. And he's not a pastor. His job's not easy. He has a difficult labor-intensive job and he comes home and he is ready to see those kids. I mean, it is like, hey, my little, whatever he calls them, kiddos. He's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. And Aspen comes running up and she's like, today we made cookies. They made cookies the day before too. And she's like, and we played with Play-Doh and like they're two. They do the same thing every single day. But every day they come and they tell their father, this is what we did. And every day, Dale is just, I'm so excited to hear about what you did. And it's like, man, God is so much more excited. Jesus tells us that we are to pray and to a father who desires for us to come to him. So much so that Jesus, when the little children were trying to come to him and all the disciples were like, hey, keep these little ones away. Jesus said, do not hinder, hinder the little children from coming to me. Let them come. And that's how we're to approach God. 
as that little kid running up, arms open, Dad, I am so glad to see you. Let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you what I need. Let me tell you what's on my heart. I I just want to talk to you. God desires relationship with us. But here's the last thing that I believe God desires. God desires honest relationship with us. I catch it in my own personal life so often when I'm praying, I pray what I think God wants me to say. It's like, you know, Jesus said this right away before he entered into this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He said, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I would also say, don't just offer up what's not truly on your heart. Oh God, everything's so good today. I mean, you know, I'm throwing my life away, but oh, it's just so good. You know, or uh, genie in the bottle, I'm going to say this right. I got I to have the right words to say, because if I say the wrong thing, God won't listen. What God desires is for our hearts to be genuine towards him. I mean, he says it in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, or Psalm chapter 51, where David just committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he says, God, you don't, you don't desire sacrifice. You don't desire offering. What you desire is a pure and contrite heart. God, create that in me. And so we come to him genuine. We come to him with, with that, that openness of letting him know what's really on our heart. If you're struggling with trust in God, let him know that. God, I'm, I'm really struggling. Like you didn't come through the way I thought you should. And God, I want to trust you, but it's hard right now. Have those honest, genuine conversations with God because he wants to hear them and he wants to work through them. But also I I will put out this disclaimer, don't forget who you're talking to. There's still a reverence that you approach God with. Remember, he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are set apart from everybody else. And so come with him with that reverence. We are praying to the Father who desires to be with us. As Jesus would say, because Satan, in that little passage about, it's Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, when the little children are coming to Jesus and everybody's like, hey, don't let them come. That's the role Satan's playing. He's the great accuser. And so as, as you're trying to come to Jesus, Satan's going to be there and he's be like, uh-uh, God doesn't have time for you today. He's too busy solving the world's problems for your little pettiness. He doesn't have time to talk to you. Don't come to him. And what Jesus is standing up there saying is, I died so that they can confidently come to my father. Let them come to me. Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And so do not also let Satan hinder you. Let your own thoughts hinder you from coming to the God who loves you. Because that's the thing. God desires you. He loves you so much that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. He didn't spare his only son, but he gave him up for you. How will he not graciously give you all things? God desires to be with you in relationship. The question is, do you desire the same thing? 
Are you opening up your heart to God? Are you genuinely coming before him? Not in incantations, not with empty phrases, but are you saying, God, this is who I am, and God, I want to become more like you. I heard it said one time, because honestly, sometimes we don't want it. And I heard somebody pray at one time. They said, God, I don't want you, but I want to want you. Help me want you. Help me desire you. Sometimes that's the prayer that you pray. God desires you. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? I mean, Kurt's going to come and lead us in a song, and maybe during that song, it's not the time for you to actually sing. But it's the time for you to get real with God. God, I'm struggling because I'm, I'm fighting the lustful flesh, and I'm fighting, and I'm giving in. And actually, God, that seems to be the bigger desire that I have. Help me die to that. God, I'm actually struggling because I don't trust you. I haven't seen you come through in my life, and I don't know if you're good. God, help me see that you are good. God, I'm, I'm struggling with unforgiveness. I'm struggling with pride. I'm struggling with whatever it is. Maybe it's time for you to have a real, genuine conversation with God and open your heart up to him. And, and that's going to be my prayer as I close this out right now. God, I pray that as we have those conversations with you, God, show us that you're good. God, show us who you are. I pray that you work in everybody's heart because so often as we, we sang about it before, we go through the motions. We just get caught up in having it just be something we do instead of a genuine relationship. God, I just, I want for us to have that true, deep, meaningful relationship with you. I want that in my life. I want that in everybody here's life. So God, I entrust it over to you for you to do the work that you are doing and help us respond to you in whatever way that is, God. It's in the name of Jesus. If you'll